You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Why does work matter? Um, For me it matters because I like to be productive and I like to pay my bills. And and that's that's pretty much what it boils down to. I mean, I'm a server, so I obviously do it for the money. I mean, you have to work to appreciate anything. If you you just uh, have something given to you, you're not going to appreciate it. But if you spend those hours working towards something, then you're going to appreciate it a lot more. It pays the bills. I guess so we have a purpose, so that we have something to do, so that we can put good into the world, you know, we can produce good things for other people. Well, you got to work to make the world go around. I mean, if nobody worked, we wouldn't have no streets to go down, we wouldn't have no stores, we wouldn't have no shops, we wouldn't have no food to eat, we we wouldn't have nothing. It helps immensely for a person's psychology to be able to know that they have a place, that they have a function, that, that there's a reason they go here and do this that's beyond something fleeting. It's kind of your drive, like you want to work, you want to take care of things, something that keeps you busy, keeps you healthy, because if you're just sitting around all day, it's not going to, your body's going to deteriorate. In all honesty, work only matters in certain points. The money doesn't matter. It's the work, it's the fact that you're working to do something. You're working to improve your life. You get a job to improve what the situation you're in. You have to earn what you get. Everything you get, you, you earn. You can't just, some people are given things, but when you're given something and when you earn something, that is that point. That is that appreciation point, that you appreciate things more than whenever it's just, here you go, you can just have two dollars. Well, I worked for that, so now I get, I've earned that.
Isn't it nice when things just work? Something very disturbing (laughs) about that video, something that's telling us about what's happening in our culture. Last week, Jake and Jason talked about the question, God, what do you do with useless people? And the point that they made was that there are theorists, there are futurists that are suggesting to us that within 15 or 20 years, about 47% of the jobs that are held now by human beings will be replaced by computers and robots. And we're already seeing in this, what some people are calling the fourth industrial revolution, this beginning to happen. And so it begs the question as we talk today about God, why does work matter? Well, why does it really matter? If robots can do it better than us humans, if there's greater efficiency, if there's no human error, then why not just let everything happen mechanically? Why not let the robots do it? Or is there something of intrinsic worth and value in work that only through our work, through the idea that we as human beings can make significant contributions that we begin to discover and become fully the person that God wants us to be. There's something about work, there's something about human effort that helps us to realize who God has created us to be. We see this in the creation stories, how that God creates and values work. Six days, God creates the heavens and the earth. Not literally 24-hour days. And the Bible isn't interested in telling us how the world is created. But what the scriptures tell us, what the creation story tells us, over and over again, both stories, is who did it and why the world The earth was created to show forth the glory of God. And as God makes things and creates things, the last animal, the last creature that God creates is a human being made in the image and likeness of God. And if we're going to be like our creator then surely God has given us creative work and tasks to do. It's amazing, isn't it, when you think about the story, how that God gives Adam the ability and the authority to name all the creatures, everything else that God has created. God gives us humanity, men and women, the ability to do creative work and to bring our efforts to the, to the job. Later, the commandments tell us, six days you will labor. 
On the seventh day, you will rest. Next week, we'll talk about rest. But six days, you'll do your work. And so what I want to talk about today is how that work reflects the glory of God in our life. And how that it's through our work and meaningful work that we not only make a contribution to culture and society, but we reach, in a greater sense, our potential and our identity as human beings made in the image of God. Now, as we talk about this, there's a tension that I want to show you. That some of us, in terms of a relationship with work, will overwork. And some of us will underwork. Where are you in this tension? Some of us have difficulty keeping a perspective in our relationship to work. What I want to talk about, first of all, is to those of us who have a tendency to overwork, who work too long, who have difficulty stopping our work who overly identify who we are based almost solely on our work. I consider myself a recovering workaholic that sometimes falls off the wagon. Five years ago, I was forced to take a sabbatical. After 35 years of ministry, I was told by the person who now is my bishop, Cassidy, you're out of here for three months. And it was during those three months that I began to engage in a rhythm, in a life of work and rest. 20 years ago, I'll never forget, Susan and I taking the kids to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. There was a businessman that gave the use of his house for a dirt cheap price, but here was the catch. You had to stay there for two weeks. He knew pastors, and he knew parishioners, and I was a guy that sometimes would leave vacation to come back and do a funeral. So on this vacation, Susan, the three kids, and I were in a house, three-bedroom house, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, for two full weeks. It drove me crazy. The first week, I did very well. It's not that I don't enjoy my family. It's not that I didn't enjoy the kids. I did. Alligator Alley, going down to the Keys, going to the beach. But the second week, I discovered things about myself that I didn't really like. I knew that I overly identified with work. The internet was created then, but the reality was that our work was not as accessible to us all the time like it is today, which I think is a travesty that we can always take our work, it seems, with us. There's a psalm, Psalm 127, that speaks to those of us who overwork in a rich, powerful way, that unless the Lord builds a house, 
the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. What we need to learn, for those of us who tend to be overly responsible, that ultimately, God's got to do it. For it to be meaningful, to be lasting, to be enduring, we put forth our best efforts and we join God in those efforts, but God's ultimately got to be the one that does it. I'm going to show you a quote that has stayed with me over the years, that we worship our work, we work at our play, and we play at worship. Just leave those words on the screen for a moment. That's defined me too often in terms of my relationship with work. And when I worship my work, when I overly identify with it, when I when I put my identity into my position or what I'm doing, everything gets out of whack. I'm overly competitive. I don't know how to play. And most of all, I don't know how to worship God. But when I worship God with all that I am, and everything that I have and all that I do, if I worship God in the doing of it, everything begins to fall into place. Otherwise, uh, in the words of Alan Falding, I'm kind of like a guy on a treadmill. I'm always working, I'm always doing, but I'm on a treadmill that goes nowhere. Another statement, another quote that Falding makes is that we always need to come to that point where we stop work. Not because work is done, because it's time to stop. You know how to stop. Now, some of you may be in a position, you work for a business or a company or you own it or you're in a situation where there's so much work that really just has to be done that day. And I get that. And I understand there's going to be days where we don't stop at eight hours or ten hours. But friends, if we are continuously working in those kind of positions and those kind of responsibilities in those kind of systems... We are doing ourselves in, and we need to get out of that situation. We need to change the system because we are human beings. We're not human doings. Now, let's talk about the other tension that we live in. Some of us, yeah, we overwork. We can't ever stop. We can't shut it off. But there's some of us who underwork, and I think we underwork in different ways. Maybe it's kind of like Harry and Lloyd and Dumb and Dumber where we complain the only jobs they got around here are those that work 40 hours a week. But I think that there's those kinds of jobs where 
And statistics bear this out in our culture that people show up for work, but not really. I mean, we put in the hours, but we underwork. We're not really into our work. We don't value the work. We, we in some way feel like maybe the work is beneath us. Matt Gifford is the former GM of the Springfield Cardinals. Matt and Emily and his family has been a part of Schweitzer's family since they came here to start the Springfield Cardinals over 10 years ago. And he recently just got promoted to being the head of operations at Bush Stadium, home of the St. Louis Cardinals. Now, we are happy for Matt. And recently, at a ball game in St. Louis, my whole family was there, and he was kind enough to drop in for one inning. And one of the things I teased him about was, well, Matt, have you been out working with the ground crew? Because one of the things I, I noticed about Matt Gifford was his great work ethic. In fact, Matt and I have had many conversations over the years, and we talk about three things. We talk about faith, we talk about baseball, and we talk about work ethic. And in his work ethic, here was the GM of the organization that was not above himself to go out and help the ground crew in a rainstorm, in a hailstorm, to get the tarp on the field what it needed to be. Now, he told me when I asked him that question, no, I don't do it here. The groundskeeper told me I'm not physically fit and able to do that. If I have to help, something's very wrong. Well, I, I wish that Matt could clean up some of the play on the field, actually, that the Cardinals are doing. But one thing that Matt did say was, you know what I'm doing, Bob, since I got here? I've been picking up trash. The most important things I've been doing is I just go wherever I go, and there's like 300 people that work with me or work under me, and they see me. And what I'm doing is I'm wherever I am, if there's trash, I pick it up. And he says, some people get it, and some people don't. But what I want them to know is, this is Bush Stadium, the home of the Cardinals. And this place needs to look good. So he picks up the trash. Nothing is beneath him. And whatever he's doing, you look around. Those of us who want to work, you don't always just look and say, this is what my job requires, and this is my space, and this is the job i got to do today. No. People that engage in the work are seeing the work that needs to be done. And you do it, and you put yourself into it. Now, why do we do that? Colossians chapter 3 has a great scripture that says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ now, I want us to read that again. I want you to say it with me this time. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving 
is Christ. So what do you do for a living? Or what kind of work do you do around the house or in the community? Work that's paid or work that's unpaid. Work that's valued in our culture or work that's undervalued in our culture. One of the things that I think is highly undervalued is people that work with childcare. In fact, I know that for a fact after working for four days with three-year-olds at Vacation Bible School. Now, I showed up every day, and some might question, maybe I was overqualified. Some might question, maybe I was underqualified. <laughs> Especially when I had a three-year-old one day that counted to 20 in Spanish. I felt very underqualified. <laughs> but in this work, it was a prayer that I prayed. And I think there was a lot of people that prayed this prayer, maybe all 135 people who volunteered their time. And the prayer was this, God, help me to value these kids. Help me not to undervalue the work that I am called to do this week. Help me to give them my full attention. So I didn't text, and I didn't email. I didn't do anything other than be with 12 three-year-olds. Thank God were four other volunteers with me <laughs> for that time. And what I loved, besides running in the jump, gym, was jumping and shouting with KJ's leadership. And in the midst of that, we were asked the question every day, what's your God sighting? And there were several God sightings I had. But there was a moment in time where it's just like God said this to me as we were jumping with the kids. If you don't have anything in your faith that makes you want to shout and makes you want to dance and makes you want to jump, then you don't have the real faith or the faith does not have you. But the moment that really blew me away was when God showed me how much he loved every one of those 12-year-old kids, three-year-old kids. <laughs> and I'm reminded today they are not robots, but they were given names by their parents who were given that authority by God to give their children an identity, not just in a name, but in who they are as God's kid. And I have been praying for Allison and Bryce and Caitlin and Grace, and Claire, and Catherine, and Cora, and Kingston, and Piper, and Oren, and Sam, and Sam. That they may know God and Jesus Christ. 
whom God has sent. You know, every day, we need to show up. We need to really show up for work, but just not the vocation or what we do to make a living. I mean, show up and put ourselves into it. There's a word that I want to share with you today, asidia. Asidia is a word that we don't use very often. It means not to care. It's essentially a word that is saying to us that in the middle of life or in the middle of the day or in the middle of a job, we have a way of losing focus. I mean, the temptation is almost all the time to binge out on Netflix or go to social media and just waste time or to go to some familiar website and just play with that. Not that any of these things are inherently wrong in their own place or to watch and veg out five and a half hours a week or a day in television. We just check out. And that's the human frailty, but that's not who we are called to be as human beings. But God has called us to give ourselves completely to the work and to the purpose for which he has made us. There's a scripture in Proverbs 6 that kind of speaks to this about our efforts. I love these words, you lazy fool. Look at the ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. All summer it stores up food. At harvest, it stockpiles provisions. So how long are you going to laze around doing nothing? How long before you get out of bed? A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy. Do you know what comes next? Just this. You can look forward to a dirt poor life, poverty, your permanent house guest. Boy, that scripture pulls no punches. And yet I think behind it is, is this sense that we are made for work. We're made to make a contribution. Work is not just who we are. It's not about all of that. It is about glorifying God in everything that we are and how we can serve him through our work. We value work at Schweitzer. We believe that work is a part of the dignity of every human being. And we believe that every human being, regardless of who they are, is valued and loved by God and may have limitations, but also has tremendous assets. And it's when we can help someone realize their God-given potential and life and dignity and encouragement, overcoming the roadblocks or overcoming Assidia, then we are glorifying God by helping that person to rise up and be who God has created them to be.
Jobs for Life is one of those things that we do. It's one of the significant ministries that we have. It's starting in a few weeks. And I already had one guy today after the 820 service told me, He's been a realtor for 20 years. I'm going to be a champion. I'm going to contact Scott Warren because I want to help give back and help someone else realize their potential. Mark McNally, our director of outreach, recently posted on Facebook the question to graduates of Jobs for Life, what did you learn from it? And one graduate said this, it made me look at my life as more than a job, a place to be each day. It made me look long-term. I was shown to look and see that I do have a ton more assets than liabilities. So here's the tension. We can underwork. We can overwork. We can put too much stock in our work. We can overly identify with it. And so when we retire, when we lose this position, we devalue ourselves. Or we can get puffed up in our positions and not see and recognize the humanity, the image of God in front of us. I think one of the chief ways that you can truly measure someone's true spirituality is how we treat people in service jobs. And so, you and I are following Jesus, I hope. And Jesus is the one that ultimately is the one that reflects this beautiful balance of work and rest. It's Jesus who did these amazing, miraculous miracles and healings. It is Jesus who endures the gruesomeness of the cross. And it is Jesus who can take a towel and a water basin and wash the disciples' feet, the most menial task of the most menial servant. It is Jesus who insists on days when the disciples are tired. We've got a crowd here. we got to feed them. And then it's Jesus that says, let's go to the other side of the lake and rest. It's Jesus who does the hard, gruesome work of theological debate and arguing with Pharisees. And it is Jesus who has time to play with a child. It is Jesus who has time in the middle of the night to talk to Nicodemus, a religious leader who's trying to find his way. And it is Jesus who hears Bartimaeus, a blind man, when other people tell him to shut up. Jesus stops in his tracks and hears a useless, worthless human being in everybody else's eyes. Respond, son of David, have mercy on me. It is Jesus 
who you and I are called to emulate and to follow. It is Jesus who gives us this invitation, the rhythm of grace in Matthew 11. Let me read this for you as the band comes. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Friends, it's, it's wherever your passion is. It's wherever your assets are. It's wherever your, your gifts, your personality intersects with the needs of people around you. That's the place where you find your work. That's where God calls us to enter into his work. And that's the work that really matters.